Hey everyone, this is Blake. Just a quick note before the start of the show, I would like to hear your ideas. If you head over to halfhourintern.com, at the top there is a link that says submit your ideas. If you yourself do a cool or interesting job or hobby or you know someone who does, you can submit it through there. As well, if you have a question that you wish that I had asked a previous guest of the show, you can submit those there as well. And about once a month, I'll be doing a frequently asked questions show where I go over missed opportunities for questions from interviews. So thank you in advance for all of your ideas and on to the show. Yeah. So we partnered together about when it happens, when it ruptures, they'll call me, I'll come and what, what, what I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to give her, uh, I'll, you know, you may not be able to talk. You grab my hand, you know, motion, you know, squeeze twice. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview vascular surgeon Dr. Raymond Shaheen. So we will talk a little bit about the anatomy, so you get a nice little anatomy lesson in this one, and learn exactly what it is that a vascular surgeon does. We will also cover some of the more intense and exciting stories that Dr. Shaheen has from his years as a vascular surgeon. And on that note, we'll talk quite a bit about the emotion and stress of dealing with life and death situations and how that has impacted Dr. Shaheen's life over the years. Uh, Lastly, we'll also cover about how much money uh, you could expect to make if you wanted to become a vascular surgeon in particular or any other type of surgeon. And on the flip of that, just exactly how much time and money it costs to become a surgeon because it is quite staggering. So without further ado, here is vascular surgeon. Dr. Shaheen, thank you so much for being with us. I'm glad to be here. All right. So I think it's a great uh, uh, type of surgeon to start out with, being a vascular surgeon. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about exactly what it is that that type of surgeon does. So just right out the gate, why don't we just start with what is a vascular surgeon? What does a vascular surgeon do exactly? Well, that, that is a very great question because um, a very common question I get usually at dinner parties where or after school with other parents, they, when they try to ask me what kind of doctor am I, um, I'm when I used to say I'm a vascular surgeon, they would they would get that confused with a cardiologist. So you operate on blood vessels. Oh, so you're a cardiac surgeon. No, I'm not a cardiac surgeon. I don't operate on the heart. Uh, well then you're a cardiologist. No, no, I'm not a cardiologist. I work on blood vessels. <laughs> and, and then they would say, Oh, like, Oh, I had someone had an aneurysm in their brain. Well, no, not those blood vessels. And they're like, well, what blood vessels do you work on? So right. there, there is somewhat of an identity crisis that vascular surgeons have, but, but basically any, any blood vessels outside of the heart or the brain, that need surgery or stenting, we fix. So, okay. So uh, and and that's in arteries and veins. So it's a it's a very broad field. So for people that aren't that medically inclined or don't remember their past science lessons, <laughs> uh, if you could just tell us the difference between an artery and a vein, and why and where you would need. I mean, if not the heart, if not the brain, why would you need vascular surgery then? Yeah. So you know, as the blood leaves the heart. It goes into the major aorta, the major branch that carries all the artery flow out away from the heart towards the rest of the body. So the artery supplies very highly oxygenated blood, delivering it to the tissues, to the brain, to the arms, to the legs, to the belly. 
And then um, once it delivers that oxygen in the, in the organ, wherever it's going, uh, as that oxygen is extracted or taken out of that blood, the artery, it actually turns into a, a very low oxygen carrying blood, which is the vein blood, the venous mm-hmm. blood. Now it goes back, tries to meander its way back to the heart to get re- to complete that cycle to get reoxygenated in the lungs. So that's the ideal way that it takes place. That's the way it's taking place in you right now, and the yes. way it's taking place in me right now. That's right, and a lot of things can go wrong, and that's when things go wrong, both with blockages that prevent the artery blood flow getting to where it's supposed to go. That's what vascular surgeons can open up or bypass or stent uh, with surgery or with a, with a balloon or a stent. And same, same way with the veins, there's a lot of problems with the veins where you can get a blood clot in the, in the vein system that prevents the blood getting back to the heart. And we can open up that blockage or uh, sometimes as, you know, if, if there's, there's a lot of different vein problems like varicose veins, we mm-hmm. might have to do various procedures to fix the varicose vein. So um, it's a very eclectic, broad field that um, we do amputations, we do skin grafts, we do wound care, we do toe work, foot work. So we overlap with a lot of other specialists like the plastic surgeons or the orthopedic surgeons with the amputations or the podiatrists. Or We do a lot of angioplasty and stenting procedures like interventional radiologists and cardiologists. So uh, um, it, it, understandably so, it, people get confused about what a vascular surgeon is because it's so, so broad. So you're talking about amputations and working with um, wound care surgeons or orthopedic surgeons to help with that. Is that because the blood flow becomes slow, so occluded in the vein that it, it <laughs> yeah. eventually... Well, there, there was always this cheesy kind of saying, because my last name is Shaheen, so it's like, got gangrene, call Shaheen. That was, <laughs> that was always the... Gangrene seemed to find me. Yeah. And, uh, although a major part of what we do is try to save limbs, try to treat gangrene, prevent gangrene... Uh, that can happen in diabetics or people who have smokers or perf- you know fat, uh, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. So when they have these risk factors that damage the vessels, the vessels can get blocked for a variety of medical reasons that I just mentioned. And that restricted blood flow can lead to ulcers, non-healing wounds, gangrene. Mm-hmm. And um, in the worst case scenario, if it presents to us very late and, and the cat's out of the bag, we can't save the limb, then we'll have to do a major amputation below the knee or above the knee. Um, and uh, a lot of orthopedic surgeons do those kind of amputations, but when we're treating them as vascular surgeons, we just follow through on the care and, and do the amputation ourselves. That, yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah. So what, what, first of all, why don't you tell us what maybe like the three or four most common procedures are um, that you would do as a vascular surgeon? Well, uh, one, one first thing is varicose vein disease is three times more common, perhaps, than, than cardiac disease. So, and you have two legs, not, you know, like the heart with one heart. So <laughs> right, kinda, right. You know, it's, there's thing, most of the times the things that are most common aren't as life-threatening or severe, right? So varicose veins we see all the time. And, uh, but uh, a lot of those cases... It's funny, I've never thought about that before, but that's a really positive outlook to have on life. But, like The more life-threatening something is, usually the less common that... Right, so we... we, 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 we so varicose veins one, but we, so we have a range of... That's the other thing. Not only do we have a range of disease processes that we treat, but also uh, a range of severity. You know, We have patients uh, who have aortic aneurysms and try to die or people who have massive strokes because they have a carotid artery blockage. Uh, these are some of the other common vascular disorders we treat. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so it's kind of schizophrenic because we sometimes have these, you know, 30-year-old moms with varicose veins that are just worried about the spiders and the appearance. And then we'll, the next minute we'll run into the hospital because there's a ruptured aortic aneurysm or someone with a massive stroke. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, it, it's a... It's a it's a broad category, but um, I would say carotid disease for people at risk of stroke, aneurysm disease, people who are at risk of it rupturing and dying from that, or um, varicose veins, or peripheral artery disease where people just have partial blockages in the vessels to their legs, and they 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 uh, can't really walk very fast and without their legs giving out or getting tired. Mm-hmm. And so when we open up the blood flow, they get a new lease on life. And yeah, definitely. So. Some of what we do is life saving. Some of a lot of what we do is quality of life improving. Yeah, good, awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned maybe having to run over to the hospital um, for somebody with an aortic aneurysm or something like that. Uh, what do you have any memories that really stick out to you? Is some of like the crazier surgeries that you've ever had, or some of the crazier experiences or emergencies that you've ever had to tend to? Uh, well, there's several. I mean, the aneurysms, of course, are very uh, dramatic. You know, time is of the essence. Um, I've had patients who, um, uh, I had one, one case particularly, this is more of a, um, opposite story of what we typically think of an aneurysm where you run in and you fix it. Uh, I had an, uh, 80, uh, late 80 woman, eight year old woman who's a massive smoker, been smoking for 70 years, didn't want to stop smoking. And I told her she had this massive <laughs> aneurysm, of course, it's going to rupture. And she, with such clarity, without being demented, I mean, just totally with it, saying, I like the way it tastes. I, I smoke with my coffee in my garden. I, I, it's a part of me. It's one little thing, simple thing that I enjoy. Yeah. So we, one of the few patients where I, I didn't try to get, read, read her the right act about stopping smoking, yeah. is she had bad lungs and she wouldn't have tolerated a surgery anyway if it ruptures. I said, if it ruptures, you're dead. Yeah. You understand? She's like... I can't live forever. Everything she said was like, I, you know, she wasn't depressed. And so she was like a Zen smoker of sorts. Yeah. So we partnered together about when it happens, when it ruptures, they'll call me, I'll come. And what, what, what I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to give her, uh, I'll, you know, you may not be able to talk. You grab my hand, you know, motion, you know, squeeze twice. You'll let me, I'll be Wow. Okay. That's so they, And I, thank God, you know, when I did get called, when she did rupture, I was in town and I picked up and I came running and uh, it worked out as she and I had partnered together on. She she just squeezed my hand twice. I knew that that was saying, give me pain medicine, give me pain medicine. And uh, and I gave her whatever it needed to make her comfortable. That is and I incredible. Held her hand and she, and that she, sounds like a movie or something. And I was never in a sick kind of way. I was never happier about losing a patient. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of other patients. I mean, I've never had that situation, but... Um, then there's the extreme end where you have someone, I have had a 54 year old father of three come in with a a very difficult, large aneurysm that when all the other vascular surgeons are out of town and you run into the OR and you know, you, you get him out of the OR, but he's really sick and then he rebled and, and by the time you get him back, you're doing chest compressions and you stop the bleeding, but by the time you get him back to the intensive care unit, you see that his pupils are fixed and dilated. Yeah. And uh, that he had suffered brain permanent brain injury. So even though you fix the aneurysm and you stop the bleeding, um, because his blood pressure was so low for a period of time, 
his his brain had taken a irre, you know irreparable hit. Yeah. Um, so those are some of those more dramatic cases. I, I've had a, a patient who was smoking for seventy years, who I I, got, I worked with her for years and got her to stop smoking, and she came in and gave me hugs. Uh, that she had actually been hadn't smoked for a year. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And you know, someone who smoked for seventy years, you would never expect. You know, can't t- teach an old dog new tricks, right? Yeah. But uh, I uh, think that this whole uh, interviewing all the different specialties will be a huge advertisement for not smoking. Because <laughs> I think the average person doesn't truly understand the medical yeah. impacts of of smoking. Yeah. If if you don't smoke, you won't probably see me from at least your arteries yeah <laughs> you know you might get varicose veins or something yeah but uh which uh, has a lot to do with your family genetics and how long you stand and how much time you if you don't wear stockings and stuff so there's things you can do to avoid the varicose veins but my point is if you yeah, if you don't smoke you're you're cutting down probably your risk by 90 percent that you're gonna ever have to see me from an artery standpoint all right there you go <laughs> done no problem so you mentioned the um the second story that you told about the gentleman that just kept bleeding and doing chest compressions and stuff like that. I, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they get stuck in traffic on the way home and that ruins the rest of their night. You know, how do you deal with the stress of a situation like that? And when you go home for the evening, like how long are you carrying that with you and how do you shoulder that sort of burden mentally? Yeah. It, um, I've learned that I can't go straight home. You know, because I come home and my son's right at the front door, daddy, daddy, or he's pretending to be a little kitty cat, and it's just like, <laughs> just, just, it's too cute, but it, it, it's um, just, uh, or, you know, we're talking about taking out the garbage or these mundane life things. Um, so I usually will, uh, fortunately, thankfully, those kind of situations aren't every day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they do take a toll, and it's more not so much what you do that night, but more over the next several weeks or months. I mean, it affects you in, in your thoughts and your minds. I mean, I, I've gone to many um, funerals uh, with family members. I, that, that patient particularly, I went to the family and I to the funeral, and I was you know thinking, am I going to get beaten up? You know, yeah. that, are people going to have a you know just an acute grief and 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 just lash out. Come to you like, and just kind of there's unload. a guy that killed him or something. You yeah. Know? Although you know they, the rational mind would say you know they were doing everything possible and and, uh, but there's also that sense of you know, I'm responsible, right? So, yeah. So I think that when you were when I was in my training, to get to this point, my I had an attitude of I don't want bad things to happen to people, but when they do, I want to be there. Yeah. And um, I used to leave the hospital through the emergency room, <laughs> kind of trolling for cases, right? Wow, really? Uh, now, you know, at 45 uh, years old now, I'm, you know, that, I won't say hero complex, you know, or whatever. It, now I'm more about, you know, I, yeah, I don't want bad things to happen to people, but at the same time, I don't want to tempt fate, and I don't want to look for trouble, and I, and I, I want to have a, I have, it's not a sprint, right? life is a marathon yeah no doubt you know when you're a resident and everything's new and fresh and you're 28 years old and you have the the physical and uh you know you don't have kids and so forth you're in a different stage in your life so um i i uh i I do um tend to try to find that balance so that i don't burn out because it is i realize that uh you know there is a lot of potential stress in this job and so i think one is recognizing that that exists to 
um, finding a balance. So I mix up my case mix, you know, so mm-hmm. that I, I, I have a mixture of varicose vein stuff with aorta stuff, with carotid stuff, so that um, that I don't have those true, you know, emotionally you know, exhausting and th- life-threatening situations every day. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm a musician by my uh, um, background before, oh, nice. you know, before, and I, um, before going into medicine, that was something I seriously thought about doing. And so I, I go to uh, the piano and write music, uh, and that's a kind of an outlet. Yeah. So sometimes I'll just draw into it, and I think after some stressful event like that, I'll emote. You yeah, know? I'll it's sit like and, meditative in a way. Yeah, and sometimes it's dark and racing music, and I, I don't understand why I wrote that, and I'm thinking, oh, that was that patient that I that I lost two weeks ago. Yeah. And I see that in the mo- song, and then it helps me develop that a little bit more. Wow. So that's a probably these skills to kind of find that diversion or that balance. Yeah. Do you have any of that recorded? Uh, no, but I have so many now um, on my phone. I, I kind of will record it on my phone kind of as like a really poor quality demo. Yeah. When my son, my daughter was born, I have a, a Natalia song. When my son was born, my father passed away. I had another song. Wow. That's so um, nice. Um, I had a song written for my wife when we were, uh, on, so that she heard it on, on, during the wedding. Yeah. Um, someone That's recorded so that. Cool. Someone recorded that. I gave them all the lyrics and the music and then they, they uh, copyrighted What you sang too? No, no, I didn't sing it. I oh, just okay. told them what the lyrics were. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then anyway, they, uh, they, but I kind of upset me cause they like, they copyrighted it. Right? Yeah. So yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> so now lyrics you're, you're are not so... supposed to be playing your own song now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the lyrics are so, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, um, that that is part of the uh, balance, yeah. life, life balance with the, with the career. So, a question that I like to ask everyone, whether it be um, a hobby that they're doing or their career, is um, if they feel that their hobby or their career has has changed them personally in any way. It may be dealing with such um, heavy things, or the opposite of that, which I, is where we'll go after this. Is some of the more <laughs> lighthearted, like good stories that you have, and being able to help all the people that you've helped. Do you feel that you've changed as a person because of this career path that you've taken? Well, I think uh, I kind of alluded to it a second ago that I I I uh, I've uh, tried to strive for more balance in my life because before I was so heavily drawn to life-saving, you know, make, you know, curing and saving lives and, and curing disease and which is very admirable, but it's at a cost and it's a huge risk of burnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is see a patient as a case or a problem, right? You want to see that as an opportunity and uh, to impact their lives in a good way. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always the balance. I, I think, um, I think just having that balance and being a little bit more realistic that uh, not being so hard on myself when you have that rare patient that uh, has a complication that uh, leads to some really bad outcome or something, an amputation or um, a stroke or something. Yeah. It's pretty rare. But, yeah. But um, those are good life lessons. I mean, good things, good ways for anybody to try to focus on well, having is not I, being so I, serious. I, I kind of think about what I tell my 12-year-old daughter. You know, I tell her, Honey, be your best friend. Be your own best friend, right? <laughs> you know, like when you start beating up on yourself, you know, you're not going to be good to anybody, right? Yeah. So you kind of just have to, uh, you know, it's that learn from from mistakes or complications or, or suboptimal outcomes and be better and smarter. And that's what experience is, right? Yeah. Wisdom. Wisdom yeah. is a, 
you know, correcting, learning from your mistakes. And that is awesome. If I might put that quote up like on my wall, just be your, be your own best friend. Be I see that every friend. day. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, that's true. So do you come from a medical family? Like was your mom or your dad a doctor? You know, this, this is a kind of interesting story. My father, um, wanted to be a dentist. I say wanted to be, but you know, back in the fifties, uh, I mean, he was, when he was in the Navy, he was a dental assistant and then he went to college and he was, uh, then he got married at 20. My mom and dad got married at 20. And then my mom basically, you know, got pregnant on the honeymoon <laughs> and, uh, you know, unlike nowadays where you could be married, living with your in-laws and having two kids and going to junior college. <laughs> yeah. Back then it was like, well, time That's to be a man. Okay. Yep. Wife's pregnant. Definitely. You're married. You're pregnant. So he dropped, he missed his shot and basically he got out of school and my, my grandfather got him set up in business in a, his own, uh, uh, grocery store business. And, um, so, uh, but there was all those little, uh, shoe boxes of teeth and stuff at the house of, it was a, a symbol of my dad's missed educational opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm the youngest of four boys and, um, I, uh, my oldest brother ended up becoming a urologist and then my second brother became an anesthesiologist. And when I was in undergrad, I, they're much older than me. Uh, I saw my oldest brother graduate from medical school and I was taking everything, but didn't really find my niche. Uh, and when I saw my brother graduate from medical school, I was, in awe about the stage of all these people. I was like, wow, these, these, these people are going to cure disease and save lives. This is awesome. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's job security, you know, (laughs) you know, in medicine, right? People need their health. If they don't have health, they don't have anything. Yeah. And, um, there's such a broad field. There's a lot of, you can find your interest in it. So then I took some pre-med classes and, and I did, probably I did better in the pre-med classes than I ever did in any of my engineering classes or anything. So, um, even though I like math and science, uh, it seemed like I was just nailing, more the, I was nailing the pre-med stuff yeah. and I couldn't really connect with all my computer or in- engineering buddies. You know, they were talking about computers and all these other things, which I really was not really getting. Yeah. So I think I found out that my, my peer, I identified my peer group in the pre-med stuff. My aptitude and talent seemed to be right in line with the pre-med stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I was highly, uh, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, didn't start out as a medical family, but my dad's became one interest kind of probably tweaked my oldest brother's interest. And, and then it was just kind of, you know, if you see your older brothers do it, they can do it. I can do it. Right? Yeah. So I think that was an advantage I had. Yeah. That's the main point of this podcast. Yes. I mean, as soon as you see someone do something or get real advice from someone that, that you feel like you can trust, everything seems more attainable all of a sudden, you know, uh, I, you know, it's, it's crazy how many sons do exactly what their dad did. And it's like, that's just because there, there's a sense of that being real. You know that you can attain at the very least what your dad did. You know, you know, your dad, you know how smart he is. You assume that you can do those same things or for you, your brother, you had, you know, yeah, you see like, think about the, you know, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Archie Manning. I mean, they, they see dad and his big brother. So then Eli's totally. like, Oh, okay. Or, you know, Can't be that hard. <laughs> senators, senators, or the son was a senator. His dad was a senator. It's like those, it definitely just, I, I think, that was uh, one of my mentors told me once uh, that he said, do you know what a visionary is? And I said, uh, well, someone who can predict the future pretty well. <laughs> you know, he's like, 
someone who has an a, acute awareness of the possible, you know, that, that just says, this is possible, we can do this, and then just makes it happen, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And I think that's when I, you know, when you see your older brother or you see your father, someone that you know or respect in your life, do something, and then you just have that, I can do that too, kind of thing. Yeah. Otherwise, definitely. I would have never looked at medicine, I probably, so I was very lucky. Yeah. It shows you how much chance there is in life. Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> just kind of trip into certain things. Yeah, no kidding. It's amazing. Um, here, let's go through some of these sure. kind of quick questions um, while we still got time here. So um, for people that, that don't know anything about uh, becoming a physician, what, is, what sort of education is needed? What is the cost of that education? So talk about, I guess, med school and then obviously residency, fellowship and stuff like that for people that don't know about fellowship and everything. Well, normally people would always, the standard answer would be four years of college, four years of medical school, and then a residency afterwards. Um, but there are some creative programs in the country. I know one of my friends went to like Northwestern in Chicago, and it was a six-year program right out of high school where you get your BA and your MD. Whoa, no way. So that kind of kind of helps out with the, the cost and the time factor. Um but, you know, Northwestern's a private school, so I'm sure <laughs> six years at the private school would probably be what it would be. Yeah, it'd be like 60 years at a <laughs> yeah, public school. Public school. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking when I think about it. I graduated in 1996, and it's 2015. I'm like, where did all the time go? But yeah. So it's been uh, basically 20 years since I, you know, had my father and I had to pay for <laughs> tuition. But... Um, you know, I think a, a realistic number would be like two hundred thousand dollars for wow. medical school. Crazy. Um, I, I, you know, there's uh, if you go to one of these six-year program deals or you know, with scholarships and grants. I mean, even though you know you get numbers from like you know the best of the best, like Stanford, and they say oh it's fifty thousand dollars a year or something, but after so many quarters, they you can you start TAing and and you can get. You, they only charge you for so many quarters in the last two or three or free or right, something. Right, right. So there's, and there's a lot of merit scholarships that are available, um, financial need. So everybody can just So you can try whatever. to work that down. Yeah. You Long go. story short, it's going to be very expensive. If you yeah. were like the all-star vascular surgeon in the world, how much money would you make? If you were the worst vascular surgeon in the world, how much money would you make? And if you're, I shouldn't say in the world, in America, obviously, and then average. Well, I have, they have definitely published data on each specialty. Um, vascular surgery definitely is a surgical specialty. It's definitely a high-earning uh, field, uh, you know, like plastics and neurosurgery and orthopedic surgery and these because the residency training and stuff has been so uh, long and lengthy and so complex um i i'll look at what job that i was offered at uh, kaiser for example uh maybe 10 years they were offering me about two hundred sixty thousand dollars to start uh i don't know what they would be offering now but i imagine it'd be a Significant, you know, over three hundred. That was ten years ago. That, that was were... ten years ago. Yeah, wow. it would be three hundred, three fifty. Yeah. Um, and so certainly there are are two standard deviations above the mean where people could be making twice that, three times that. I think the problem is is when you start getting too many standard deviations above the mean, then Medicare, health insurance, and your colleagues are going to wonder, well, why is he Superman and I'm right? not? Yeah. So then you start looking at excessive over-utilization of services and everybody gets a test, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody gets a procedure. 
so uh, you know, the and like any field, you could have, um, you know, there's there like any in any field, you could have people who are excessive utilizers, or I won't say fraud per se, but just you got to find a, a balance between why you went into the field to begin with, right? Yeah, yeah for to sure. To help people and not just purely look after raw. You're going to make good money. Yeah. And and if you get $200,000 from medical school, it's because someone's offering you a, a starting job at $350,000. Yeah. Right? right? Be- yeah. So, I mean, but if they change that and they say, oh, by the way, you're going to make $170,000, uh, then most people would say, well, that's a, that's good money. That's great money. But not when but, you have but a you, quarter you million spent, dollars to pay back. Know, like when I, I was 17 when I graduated high school, I was 34 when I finished my training. Yeah. And I remember having that feeling like, Wait, I spent half of my life, you know. Yeah. That's, and how much money could you have already saved if you'd have just, you know. Yeah, well, all these other people your age have been getting a match from their employer and all this stuff and, and you were, yeah. So when all my research years, you, I I, would, I got like $14,000 pay cuts so I could do research. And you do all this altruistic time and um, you know, that's not why you do it for the payback, but there's it's got to work. Yeah. And uh, but so so I would say that the, that that kind of gives you a ballpark figure that uh that where where things start out and where things can go okay so four years of uh medical school how long of a residency um and then if you could touch on what a fellowship is really quickly for a specialty vascular i I don't want to be complicated but they have different tracks now because historically it was uh medical school for four years and then you you do general surgery for five years and then vascular surgery for a year or two as a fellowship Mm-hmm. They still have that track, so it's really like it's really like seven years after medical school wow. for vascular surgery training. But um, uh, now you can go if you really have the foresight to know that you want to be a vascular surgeon, you can skip the general surgery route and you go match into a residency right out of medical school. So, oh, kind of, wow. and I think this is really um, part of the reason when as women have become surpassed men as greater than 50% of medical school uh, students Mm -hmm. that that balance mentality that they have brought you know that they demanded you know it has affected everybody in a good way they were saying well why do we have to do five years of general surgery and two years of vascular surgery there's got to be a more efficient way I don't want to be a general surgeon. I want yeah. to be a vascular surgeon. Yeah. So I think a lot of this change has happened to compact the amount of training. So you can now go right out of medical school and do five years and be a vascular surgeon instead of the seven years. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that that four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and five years for vascular surgery residency. Yeah, that is a, that's a and long that's, time. And that's two years less than the way it used to be. Yeah, still. Yeah, that's incredible. So why don't we close with, um, if you could give any... Um, like college student that's thinking about going to medical school, thinking about becoming a vascular surgeon, a piece of advice, or more, I guess more importantly, or maybe more honestly, I guess I should say, if you could go back in time and give yourself advice when you were 22 years old or something, what advice would that be? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, uh, because um, it, it's it's one of those questions like, if you could go back and change anything, what would you change? Right, you needed everything. There. And I think ignorance was bliss for me because... I remember being in uh, physics in undergrad on a Friday night studying for a Monday exam thinking, I hate my life, right? Everybody wants me to go out and have fun and i got to sit in this library. And how do people get a four-year degree, right? Yeah. But then I ended up doing like 17 years. Yeah. So uh, 
I, I would say that obviously the word passion comes in, right? If mom wants you to do it or dad wants you to do it, you're, you're going to burn out. You're going to do it for the wrong reasons. If you're just trying to say, I want to chase and make a lot of money, you're getting it kind of screwed up because when you're in any field, if you're excited and passionate and creative and you're all in, you're going to be successful. And usually when you're, when you're successful and fully committed, you're going to make really good money in any field mm -hmm. that you want. You're going to have job security. You're going to have creativity. You're going to open up businesses and do things. So it's really starting about having that lifeblood pumping in you and chasing that. And, and, and then, you know, it's like if you do the right thing and you work really hard and you're committed to it and determined, then that's the best way to be successful. You're going to burn out. You're going to be unhappy or you're going to be grumpy with your family. You're going to, yeah, you might become a doctor because you somehow can pass the test or uh, you can live up to have family expectations. But I, I would definitely not want to push my kids into medicine. Yeah. Usually the There's doctors, a lot that comes with that. Usually the doctors push their kids to become a, a lawyer, and then the lawyer kids, the lawyer, the kids of lawyers want to become doctors yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah, be a professional of some kind, but not the one I'm at, yeah. because we all see <laughs> we all see the the challenges that we go through. Yeah, uh, but I'm a, I'm still a half full guy. I'm not a half empty guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm always uh, when I get that one patient. I just have one patient sends me, um, yeah, a picture about her smiling mother because I fixed her leg and the little lady smiling in the bed with her like nasal cannula oxygen on and those little messages and stuff just make my uh, remind me why I'm in the field that I'm in right and that's why you got in in the first place which is like you just said very it's very aligned if you had gotten in for money and you get a text like that that might be nice but it's not yeah the same. you know I, I mean I sometimes just think I'm I hit the lottery you know like I, I don't sell widgets and I change people's lives. I help them. Yeah. I have an opportunity to help them. And I have job security. I make good money. And I, uh, you know, it's, it's good, clean living. Right? It's not like, you know, I'm not out there shoveling poo, right? <laughs> I'm no, no disrespect. Someone's got to do it. But yeah. I, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I don't have the right to complain at all. Yeah. You know, when, when things get bad, I just say, you know, I'm so lucky. Yeah. I so much good advice that could pertain to so many different things and not just your line of work. So anyways, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, I, I greatly appreciate it, Blake. Appreciate it. Take care.